the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to shift gears and talk with an author who challenges the notion that science and religion are incompatible in a new book called Every When, God, Symmetry, and Time. He is an MIT-trained physicist named Dr. Thomas Sheehan, and I think I'm saying that right. He joins me by phone. Hi, Tom. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Tom. I'm pleased to be with you. Thank you for having me on. Is Tom okay, or do you prefer Thomas? No, Tom is fine. Okay. Um, let's, let's talk about this. It seems to me that very often people who pursue science, um, researchers and, and so on, are pretty comfortable acknowledging that they have a belief in God or some higher power, whereas very often the, the well-known and vocal clerics seem to be the ones that are saying that, that these two things are incompatible. Well, I agree with you there, Tom. It is the case that um, the people who get too much TV time are saying um, <laughs> science opposes God, okay? But it isn't really true. Science is a partner with religion in learning more, in approaching uh, God, in understanding our life and our future and everything about God better if we use science and religion as partners. And that is kind of diametrically opposite to what you often hear in the uh, mainstream media and on television. Yeah, you know, on this show, uh, Tom, we talk a lot about politics and very often the subject of uh, the separation of church and state comes up. And there was a lot written by the Founding Fathers about that, but there are a lot of misunderstandings about how it appears in the Constitution. But but there is this sense that there there is or should be a separation of church and state, yet all of our money says in God we trust. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it, it seems interesting that the two things can can coexist in and as we look at science and religion. I wonder if and maybe this is too simple, Tom. You can tell me. Um, Religion is asking the questions while science is trying to answer them. 
Well, see, this is where the problem comes in, because science really has got a great deal of uh, knowledge that it covers. Science can do an awful lot for you, as it has. Look at the wonders of technology. Science is very good in its own field, but the field of religion really does ask questions on a different level, and in order to answer those questions, you have to step up to a higher level of thinking, because if you try to answer a question posed by religion on a simple level of humanity alone, you won't get to the proper answer. You'll get a partial answer, which leaves you dissatisfied and not understanding. And in my book, I try to point out some of those issues where this is the case, that people have become mistaken and have been misled into thinking that God is limited and finite just like us human beings. And that's a big mistake to underestimate God that way. You know, it's interesting when when um, we explore uh, history, and, I, and I'm thinking of of uh, a scene um, from the movie Inherent the Wind about the Scopes monkey trial and in uh, mm-hmm. evolution and so on, where the defense attorney, uh, played by Spencer Tracy, is is saying. How do we know a day was a day? You know, that, could a day mm-hmm. have been two days or three days or thousands of days? And, you know, it, it, it opens up an interesting question about how we measure time. And what do we know about, you know, has it been 2,000 years since... Christ walked the earth. Um, can we trust these these various, uh, you know, marks or demark- demarcation of time? There's a fellow over in Israel now who was born an American, went to MIT, got a PhD in physics, just like me. He was several years ahead of me. His name is Gerald Schroeder. And he has a very interesting viewpoint. He follows an Orthodox Jewish custom of uh, a sect uh, led by a certain uh, rabbi named uh, Nachmanides, not to be confused with Maimonides that many of us have heard of. And this Nachmanides insisted that creation took place in six days. Okay. Schroeder, having been to MIT, uh, knows from physics that it's 13.8 billion years. And at this point, he did a very unusual thing. He said, both must be true. My religion is true. My physics is true. It's up to me to figure out how those balance. And he did. He analyzed the early text of Genesis 1 and said, that is written from a different author, a different viewpoint from the following chapters in Genesis. And this uh, expression, as, as put down in Genesis 1, is from the point of view of an observer who is moving with the expansion of the universe. So what he did was he brought in relativity on how time changes when you're moving in in a different coordinate system. And thus he found that you could in fact have both six days and 13 billion years, and they are both correct in different coordinate systems. So what Schroeder did was step up to a higher level of thinking. He had what appeared to be a conflict between science and religion. He believed in both, 
and therefore he stepped up to that higher level to find the answer. And I give him a lot of credit for that because what he brought to the table was the conviction that both his faith and his science were true, and when properly understood, they would not be in conflict. Well, there were um, clerics that were insisting at one point, not just the ones that get too much TV time, Tom, but, um, yeah, okay. but, but that were insisting that all of history, according to the Bible, is about 6,000 years. And comedian Lewis Black said, you know, reaches in his pocket and says, fossil. You know, he pulls mm-hmm. out a fossil, yeah, yeah. which has been dated to be, you know, several, maybe tens of thousands of years old. And again, this is this is where this Schroeder has has really helped um, shrink the divide by acknowledging that both can be true. That's exactly what he did and what I urge people to do throughout the book. In every when, God, symmetry, and time, I draw attention again and again to the difference between what humans think about the dominance of time versus God being omnipresent to all time. God doesn't have to look at his watch. And that's a very important point that we all need to understand, but to grasp it, we've got to step up to a higher level of thinking. But we, you know, the the idea of linear time, as complex as it actually could be, um, is is how we manage our lives every day, and it's hard for people, um, you know, some people have a difficult time you know, dealing with military time, let alone getting completely outside the idea of linear time. What is linear time? I mean, is it is it really, as some people say, just a construct? No, no, no. Uh, linear time is what we basically use regularly on a daily basis in science and our clocks and our life and everything like that. And the inexorable progression of time where you can't go back but you always go forward, is something that has been a very normal part of human nature. And I'm asking people to say, okay, go with that, but be humble about it. Realize that your perception of time, as accurate as it it may be for you, is limited and finite and fails to uh, duplicate God's perception of time, which is all-encompassing. So we don't have to say God does sees things all at once, because that would be throwing in time, the at once part. But rather, God is present to all time, and that makes a huge difference between us and God. And we as humans need to be humble enough to recognize that it is a human limitation that causes us to think this way about time. You know, I'm I'm fascinated by stories that that revolve around time travel. And I heard somebody say recently that time travel is in fact possible, but you can only go forward, and it takes a really long time. Well, okay, that's, <laughs> <take> that. <laughs> which it is kind of you know silly and turns the whole thing on its head. But but that is one of those questions we have: if if time is malleable, can we move around in it? I definitely think it's possible. 
I think that we haven't done it yet, and it probably will be a very long time before science enables us to travel at speeds high enough to where we notice the difference between um, uh, time on Earth and time in the spacecraft. Um, this has been a wonderful topic for science fiction for a long time. It's very entertaining. It drags in the theory of relativity, and it gives, therefore, our people a certain sense of mystery, but it is so far technologically impossible to make an important difference. Even the astronauts uh, found that they were uh, differing in time by fractions of a second. So there's just not a realistic change in time that affects human beings uh, in our present life. <clears throat> How do we... What are some ways we can um, train ourselves to think differently about time? Well, it begins with humility. If God is smarter than us and uh, much more advanced than us. And if we accept that humbly, we can begin. There are different types of uh, experience, uh, experiences that people have uh, Einstein commented upon this once, that uh, time is relative depending on whether you're enjoying things or not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He said something about uh, being with a pretty girl, time goes faster, or something like that. At any rate, um, the uh, perception of time that we have as humans is pretty much uniform, and we have it, and we're stuck with it all our lives long. But when we defer to God's superiority, we can see that he can do things outside of time, independent of time, transcending time. And that gives an enormous power, and we have to respect that. So that, that is a, the first step, to appreciate the gulf between ourselves and God when it comes to understanding time. What does Einstein's theory of relativity have to do with religion? It, uh, I think, and I, I make use of it in the book to some extent, I, I should emphasize that some of the book is about physics, about relativity, but you don't, there's no equations, I don't give homework, and there's no test, okay? So we're not doing physics in the usual sense that students remember from their days in, in uh, college or high school. Um, what Einstein said was that time is relative, that it is related to space, that space and time are bound together in a certain way. Now, if we hearken way back 1,600 years ago to a certain St. Augustine, in about the year 400, he said that God created space and time together, and that was the beginning. Tom, I, I hate to interrupt, but I have to take a short break here. I'm fascinated. I, I have a feeling we're only going to get to scratch the surface here, but can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Of course. All Certainly, right. Yes. My guest is uh, Thomas Sheehan, uh, author of the new book, Every When, God, Symmetry, and Time. And we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are WFOV. LP, our voices, Radio 92.1 FM, Flint. And um, if you're streaming us on TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse, we'll be right back. 
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom general stuff listen I have a legal question what is it mom I just got a call from the water company apparently your father has not been paying the bill I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than a thousand dollars now can you believe it actually I can't so listen we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm 
Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about uh, uh, science and religion with the author of the new book, Every Win, God's Symmetry and Time. And uh, his name is a MIT-trained physicist, Thomas Sheehan, and he joins me by phone. Tom, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Nonsense. Those are good commercials. <laughs> well, I'm glad you think so. Um we were talking a little bit um, before the break about uh, about time and linear time and and what the theory of relativity had to do with uh, with religion. Yes, I, it does seem like a remote connection, certainly. And in everyday life, every one of us can get along perfectly well without knowing anything about the theory of relativity. But what relativity did was it posed or, or it recognized the fact that time and space are linked together. And if we look way back, way, way, way to the beginning of the universe, a lot of people are busy asking a question of the form, what was God doing before he created the universe? And the word before is the error in that sentence. Because there was no before until God created time. He created time and space together. And that symmetry between those gives us a very important clue to the reality which is hidden from us in our everyday lives. We experience time as totally distinct from space. But thanks to many, many centuries of advancing science, culminating in Einstein's theory of relativity, we now see that there's this link between space and time, even if in our ordinary human experience we can't find it. But that's a really important point because it shows that God is transcendent to time, God is the creator of time, God is not subordinate to time. And a huge fraction of time, uh, effort by philosophers, theologians, and so forth over many centuries have all been laboring under the delusion that God is subordinate to time, that God is within time, that God has to behave according to the rules of time. All of that's wrong. God, the creator of time, gets to call the shots in his way, not subject to our human limitations. For a lot of us, um, you know, when you talk about before the creation of the, uh, of the universe, um, so many of us are, are used to hearing about the Big Bang Theory. Doesn't the Big Bang Theory, at least for most of our understanding of it, um, describe a moment at which everything begins? And, and isn't that linear time thinking? Um, the way you've expressed it in that sentence is linear time thinking. However, let us say that God decides to separate the dimensions of space and time from everything else and bring into existence light. That's the relationship between space and time. With that stroke of genius by God, there becomes 
meaning in words like before and after. There was no time until God created time. So you can't say before or after if there's no time. There is, this is almost impossible for people to grasp because every one of us are limited and bound in by time. We cannot imagine when there was no such thing as time. But that's the way God created the universe. He began by creating space and time together. And then that, after that, now the word after has some meaning because time has been created. And then we can talk about all the things with the particles and the expansion and, and the formation of galaxies and stars and everything that's in all the physics books and we all read about and it's seen on television and all that. All that goes ahead when the word after has some meaning. There is no before. There is only God's creation of space and time together. And that's really hard for human beings to get our minds wrapped around because we had no experience of there not being a before in everything in our lives. So it really is hard to, to take hold of that. And that's why I say to people, you must have humility and let God be God and not try to constrain him by human limitations. Is the notion that, that we've heard about for so many years that man was created in God's image. Isn't that sort of backwards? Doesn't man imagine God in their own image? And um, how, how do we define God if we don't use that um, uh, measurement? Okay, the approach over many, many eons, uh, hundreds of centuries, has been one in which our understanding of God has increased steadily as we gain more and more knowledge and see that he is less and less limited. There was a time when you had the uh, Zeus and uh, Venus and all those guys running around fighting with each other and all that stuff. And along came the Hebrews in the uh, about 4000 BC or so and said, no, there is one God. That was a real good accomplishment. That was a major start. Now, as time passed, our sophisticated level of knowledge of God has gotten better and better. We see and have some understanding of his creation, which is incredibly magnificent accomplishment, far more than we could ever understand with the kind of knowledge that we had centuries ago. And it's this advancing knowledge where science and faith move along parallel as partners in understanding God better and better. And in the 20th century, we took a big step forward with relativity because it enabled us to have in our mind, uh, at least uh, in our understanding, a permission, a freedom, a, an exemption from human limitations in which we can say God is better than us, smarter than us, and way ahead of us, and therefore, we are no longer thinking of God as limited in time. But that's taken an awful long time. When you look way back to the ancient Greeks and so forth, they were on a pretty shaky grounds as to what they thought was a God, because they had so many of them. So we're really well, they had a, a progress. They had a God for everything. And, and that, yeah, and that yeah. of course, was a long time before we realized how intertwined those things are. Highly true. Yes, you, you're quite right there. 
Um, this idea um, that, uh, oh, I, I know what it was. I almost lost my train of thought there, Tom, forgive me. Um, how important is it to look back and, and, and study the history and the evolution of knowledge in understanding now and preparing for the future? Absolutely important, because uh, who was it that said centuries ago, those who don't learn from history are condemned to repeat it? Um, there's an awful lot that our uh, understanding has advanced just in understanding what humans have done in their relationship with one another and with God over many centuries. So it's well worth studying, and it gives us good insights. The uh, particular understanding that I bring to the table has a heavy dose of science in it because I'm relying on the advances in science as a guideline, a, uh, an avenue, a branch, a pathway to uh, accelerate our understanding of... It's not so much that we understand God better, we understand our own limitations better, and that enables us to appreciate God at a higher level. So that's an important distinction, is that we haven't gotten a whole lot smarter about God because he's way up there anyway. I mean, we, we can't touch him. But we can understand what our own limitations and failings have been over many centuries in the past. And that, I think, is an important contribution. Is string theory tied at all to linear time and, and linear thinking? String theory is a really interesting uh, aspect of physics, and by golly, I wish them well. The guys who do string theory are, are brilliant mathematicians, and uh, the beauty and symmetry of that system of equations is wonderful. Trouble is, it doesn't make any predictions of measurable outcomes. And without measurement, without data, without actual real things that you can measure, you don't have science. All you have is kind of philosophy or math or entertainment. But if you want to have science, you've got to have some data, you've got to have a measurement, and that's where string theory falls short. Now, I hope that someday they will come along and find their ability to make a prediction verifiable by real physics. And if so, we can all marvel at it. But until that day comes when a prediction is made, um, string theory is kind of out there in, in the clouds somewhere where it doesn't quite exist in the realm of physics. And I don't mean to put it down, because it is beautiful mathematics, and the practitioners of string theory are brilliant men, but uh, it isn't quite physics as we understand it, because it doesn't make measurements. Well, and, and that's why they, they talk about it the, in terms of being a theory. Of course, yes. Right, right. And it's a beautiful theory. Mathematics is exquisite. It's elegant. And um, you look at it and say, wow, that's really great. But it doesn't make predictions, and so you can't put it to work in any way. So that, that's its limitation. Um, when we imagine other things... Um, that imagine almost any theory or idea proposed about how God created the universe over time 
every one of them at least had the tie-in to reality, to measurement, to something you could determine is, is there or not there. And uh, I would dearly love to see string theory reach that level of um, reality in uh, physics. Why do people uh, seem to think that somehow the search for knowledge uh, in the in the various disciplines that we think of and characterize as science is somehow a threat to faith? This is very regrettable. It really is. So many parents are afraid to let their kids study science because they're, they've been told by somebody else that science is going to take away their child's religion. Boy, is that ever a mistake. Huge mistake. Science will not take away anyone's religion if you understand the reality of science. If you listen to some guy who's professor of uh, basket weaving or something tell you about what he heard from somebody else about, 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 etc., down that the other guy claims uh, science proves there's no God or something crazy like that, then you can be intimidated by into a fear of science. But if in reality you just plain get down to work and see what real science does and says, again and again you will find that science points directly towards God, towards the brilliance and uh, stunning creativity of God. Science reinforces the reality of God in every one of its uh, steps. So what people have to do is distinguish between real science and the pseudoscience that gets talked about too much. And that, that takes effort. You really have to work. You have to work to appreciate science and to understand that it is something that God created. Just as he created space and time, he was the one who created the symmetry principles, the laws of science, and all that follows from it. And that was an incredible accomplishment of beyond human imagination so far that we can only say in, in humble awe, how great thou art. Tom, you've been uh, a Catholic all of your life. Correct. Um, but there is, just as you pointed out, there were, there were gods in Greek mythology um, and and the Jews came along and said, nope, there's one God, and it's been pretty much that way ever since. But in most, if not all of the religions on earth, there is a single deity at the center of it. Yes, true. Is, is it your belief that it's all the same God Oh, absolutely, yes. There is only one God, okay? It is true that people of uh, different backgrounds, uh, whether they be primitive tribes in Africa or the most sophisticated scholars in India and China thousands of years ago, the appreciation of the unity of God is something that is pretty much universal. Of course, the names are different because people... Uh, have a limited understanding, and each uh, tribe of people brings their own limitations to the table and have trouble seeing the other guy's uh, limitations. And this is what gets in the way. 
But the fact is that all of the major uh, religions throughout the earth now concede that there is one God, and they call him by different names, but uh, they do recognize the unity of God. Are there people that, among your colleagues, that feel differently about the symbiosis between science and religion? Yes, uh, there are plenty of scientists who take a uh, a view that I will say is too limited. They stop at the point where they consider science very complete, very authoritative, and, and gives a lot of explanations, or a lot of questions, and they don't ask the deeper questions. But I say, keep going, people. Keep asking more and more questions, and keep looking for those answers, not so much in science, but in a parallel progression, a partnership between science and religion. It is that combination of faith and science that brings you the real advances. And that's something that too many scientists are unwilling to take that new step. There's um, so, something about that, that that makes me wonder if there aren't people who get so caught up in what they can prove and touch and measure that that limits them to believing that science is the only true religion. That is definitely a very uh, commonplace thing. I talk about this in several of the chapters in my book about the uh, way we go about understanding science and what it means to do real science and how when you reach the periphery, the extremes, the advances, the frontier of science, and you look over the edge and ask what's beyond, now you're stepping up to a higher level of thinking. And a large fraction of people aren't willing to do that because they only see what they see with their eyes, their ears, and their scientific instruments. And they say, oops, that's all there is, and I'm not willing to look over the horizon. And that's too bad because they're missing an awful lot of uh, understanding, of growth, and knowledge that is brought to us in a number of other ways by people in different disciplines, uh, poets and artists and literature and so forth, have a way of expressing knowledge that is real, reality, that uh, isn't covered by science. Isn't looking, about human Go ahead. isn't yeah. looking over the horizon the very essence of, of the um, exploration of... of uh, that makes up scientific disciplines? Indeed it is, because you want to understand more and more. But there are times when you come to something where the scientific instruments won't take you there. Ask about human traits like love, loyalty, um, uh, and the negative traits like cruelty. Uh, all of these different things that make humans real, those realities aren't touched by science but they are realities. If you say, how does a mother love a child? How does a husband love his wife? These kind of things, you can't find a scientific answer for that. And therefore, it's the two paths that science is parallel to this path that is all these other characteristics of human beings that amount to what we call faith or religion, 
the two together march along in a parallel way that bring you closer to God because they cooperate with each other as they go along. This is something that was recognized by the early Christian fathers like St. Augustine and others, you know, 1,600 years ago, but has largely been lost on people as people for the last few centuries have depended more and more on science alone and have not allowed the growth and expansion of knowledge that comes by uniting science with faith. And that's, that's a mistake, and I try to point that out in the book. Tom, was there a eureka moment for you when you realized that science and religion were not incompatible? Oh, I don't think it's a eureka moment. It's been a continuing thread throughout my life. Were you always seen. open to that possibility? I think so, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of parents are concerned. If I send my kid to college, they're going to take away his faith and teach him atheism. That didn't happen to me. I went to MIT. I was 17 years old when I went in there, and nobody ever shot down my religion there. They treated me with uh, fairness, with respect, and I was able to grow in my knowledge of science along with a parallel knowledge of an understanding of religion. Um, things that um, were very difficult as a child got clearer through college and beyond. The work of St. Thomas Aquinas is a masterful body of theology, but, you know, high school kids can't quite figure that out. It takes a while. And this kind of growth takes place over time in every human being, and it's a mistake to truncate it by saying uh, science alone. It's another mistake to truncate it by saying, don't go near science. Those equal mistakes lead people down the wrong path, and I'm saying, put the two of them together and go forward. Well, I'll tell you, it's it's a, a fascinating concept, and the book is called Every When, God, Symmetry, and Time by MIT-trained physicist and Ph.D. Thomas Sheehan, who's been my guest this last uh, 45 minutes or so. Tom, it's it's been a real honor and a privilege talking with you. I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. I feel like we could talk about this all afternoon, but um, is there a, a website? I mean, obviously, the book is a great place to start, but is there a website you'd like to share where people could find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future? Uh, sure, okay. Um, first of all, if you want to buy the book, most people just get it from Amazon. That's the swiftest way to do it. You can order it from the publisher, which is Enroute Books and Media in St. Louis. But honestly, for 20 bucks, most people just go to Amazon. It shows up in a few days. It's really good. But to uh, explore the kind of thing I've been doing for some years and that of my colleagues, the organization ITEST, which stands for Institute for Theological Encounter with Science and Technology, has a website which is the very simple uh, www.faithscience.org. And well, there you will learn a great deal about what we have been studying and the kind of ideas we put forth. Well, Tom, thank you so much for spending this time with me and uh, and the listeners in, in putting up with my naivety. <laughs> and, Not at all. I think you've asked some brilliant questions, and I appreciate the chance, and I thank you for having me on the show. All right. Well, take care and keep up the good work.
Thanks very much, Tom. All right. Bye-bye. Again, that was uh, Thomas Sheehan, author of Every Wind, God, Symmetry, and Time. We'll be right back. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage, basketball or soccer. So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hey, why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop, Attorney General, and we got a concert to get to! 
I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nessel. If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash AG. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. There are many shows on the air which are basically interview shows, and they start out in a very austere setting. Uh, There's a interviewer, he sits behind a desk, and in the background somewhere, some figure in the news sits. He's later in the show blinded by a spotlight. I'd like to present one of these shows. They start off very dramatically, something like this. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Wallace, Nightline. Our guest in the studio tonight is Dr. Warner von Warner, one of the many German missile scientists involved in our American missile program. Dr. von Warner, I suppose the question most often asked you, you were involved in the German missile program, you're now involved in our missile program. Was the fact that you were involved in the German missile program a matter of political conviction, or was this political expediency on your part? (laughs) Oh boy, that one, huh? Actually, I didn't didn't have that much to do with it, to tell you the truth. Um, This is back around 1940. I was working at a beer garden in Stuttgart. And like on Friday night, you know, the waitresses and the waiters, we'd go to one of the girls' pads, you know, and uh, order some pizzas and some schnapps and get half-gassed, you know. And I used to fool around with these inventions, you know, and I'd take this tin can and put a firecrack underneath it, and I'd like the firecrack, and the thing go four or five feet up in the air, you know. And everybody'd say, what the hell was that, or what a nut that Warner is. Somebody want to get Warner's hat, you know, something like that. Except there's one party, a little guy walks over, he's got a little mustache, and a piece of hair falling on the side. <laughs> he says, hey, that, uh, that was interesting what you did with a, with a tin can there. <laughs> but uh, what, uh, what causes that? Eh? I said, well, see, that's, um, for every action, there's a reaction, you see. And the, the force of the firecracker is it's, see, it's, first of all, it starts toward the floor. But the top of your can, see, it's... Every time I do it, it jumps four feet. <laughs> he says, what, uh, what do you call that thing there? I said, that's, uh, that's a Arcot. It's named after my landlord, Irving Arcot. <laughs> see, I was, I was about three months behind an inch, you know, and comes a knock at the door, and he says, look, Varner, you know, you got to knock off with the firecrackers in the middle of the night. You know, because the neighbors are complaining. And don't hand me the Madame Curie bit, you know what I mean? <laughs> what her landlord wanted to do about her rent, that's his business. I want my rent, see? I said, look, I'm working on an invention. If it works out, I'll name it after you. He says, you're going to call it an Irving? <laughs> I 
to call a docket. So anyway, the guy at the party, little mustache, piece of hair falling in his eyes, he says, that would make a terrific weapon, you know that? <laughs> I said, well, you'd have to get right on top of the guy. <laughs> hit him in the face or something like that <laughs> with, with a tin can to really hurt him. I think your big problem is going to be getting that close to the guy. You know? <laughs> he says, no, no, what if, what if we took a hundred firecrackers and a great big tin can, see? I said, well, we saw of that, but your problem there is, see, by the time you light the fuse on the last firecracker... <laughs> He said, look, the, the, reason, the reason I'm asking you all this, I'm head of the German people. I said, oh. <laughs> I said, so, you know, congratulations. I, you know. <laughs> I hadn't seen a paper in a couple of days, so I took a verse. <laughs> he says, would you like to be involved in our missile program? I said, well, you know, I got a pretty good thing going at the, at the beer garden. You know, he says, look. He says, it's a civil service job. Three fifty a month. When you're 55, you go down to Baden Baden and forget the whole scene. So anyway, all they want me to do, I sign these requisitions. Liquid oxygen, I don't know what it is. I'm signing Warner von Warner. And every month, three fifty, there it is, like clockwork. See? Anyway, make a long story short, we lose the war. <laughs> and the Americans come to me, you know, and I've been getting offers from the Russians and all that, and they say, look, Warner, you know, we've seen your name on some of the requisitions, and uh, how'd you like to be involved in the American missile program, you know? I said, look, actually, I didn't have that much to do with it, you see. I mean, I was at this party in Stuttgart, see? <laughs> They said, ne never, mind, never mind, we need a name. No, we so anyway, I, I, I took the job, and uh, there it is, four fifty a month. When I'm 55, I go down to Fort Lauderdale, and <laughs> it's a pretty good deal. Well, uh, Dr. Von Warner, our time is running out on us. Uh, we have now put a man in space. The Russians, some two or three weeks before that, had put a man in space. Was this the eventual plan of the German missile program to put a man in space? Oh, we, we put a man in space. Oh, sure, back in uh, 1940. I put my brother-in-law, Herman, I put him on. <laughs> well, now, that's amazing because, of course, the, the big problem we found uh, putting a man in space was the problem of reentry. And uh, apparently in 1940, you had already solved that problem. Well, what problem is this you're talking about? <laughs> Well, Dr. Von Warner, we want to thank you very much for stopping by and wish you continued success. Well, thank you very much. Now, are you going to give me the money or will you send a check to me? <laughs> this was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 